0: Good morning, Journey. Hey, so that's what it looks like when your bus driver gets off the bus, takes off his coat, and jumps in the pool, and then asks you to text a video to his wife because he had his phone in his pocket when he jumped in the pool. So he went a week without a phone in Panama City, but it was awesome. Listen, camp was better than it looked like on the screen, and we are so glad... To be back. Our goal today is to bring a little bit of camp home. You heard Hannon already say it. 350 people from our church down and back to Panama City. Hannon and Michelle and Zach um, and Pastor John and Pastor Mike, thank you for getting all of our kids safely 20 hours down to Panama City Beach, safe in the ocean for a week, safely back home. Can y'all help me just thank them for keeping our kids alive? Goal one of camp. Goal one of camp is always to have everybody who went come back. Like when that happens, like, okay, that was a win. Did anything else happen that was good? And the answer is yes. You heard Hannon say already more than 50 spiritual decisions. Uh, 27 of those who were baptized, eight who feel the call to full-time ministry say, Christian, what's that mean? At that exact same camp on that exact same beach in 2004, a student ministry leader in the, in the ministry that I was leading as a youth pastor committed his life to full-time ministry on that beach. His name was Pastor Ryan Holt. Um, if we have even one kid 17 years from now who ends up like Ryan Holt, that camp literally changed the world. Um, and, and this summer, if you think about just this summer, what's happened between jam week and student camp, 650 kids, uh, nearly 300 leaders, um, more than 150 spiritual decisions, nearly 100 students that want to be baptized, um, dozens of kids who are considering ministry. We call that summer it Journey. But if you were writing the history of that, you would call that revival. Like when that many students under the age, age of 18 are leaning into Jesus together, you call that revival. And that is what has been happening. And we want to bring a little bit of that home to you pray for my voice as I speak if I get through the 11 a.m. service I will have spoken 19 times in the last eight days so um, you can pray that tomorrow the mental hospital I'm planning to check into is open (laughs) and that they have a bed for me Um, and if that works well we'll uh, we'll keep rolling 1st Kings 18 is where we're going to hang out today so grab your Bible 1st Kings 18 grab your notes we've been in Matthew chapter 8 we'll be back there next week but we want to break for camp and bring some of the spirit of camp home with us As you're finding 1 Kings chapter 18, um, let me remind you that we have three more Saturday services this summer at Journey. Initially, we were supposed to be done yesterday. Uh, But the space we're hoping to move into is not finished yet So the next three weeks we'll have a saturday night option if that works best for your family For your friends come and be a part of our saturday night service Our goal is next sunday to let you know what our fall plan for ministry is We've got a big building meeting big elders meeting So hopefully we'll be able to figure out uh, by next week what our summer plan for ministry is going to be But let me tell you our goals today as we bring camp home to you number one to have our faith walk challenged Through the story of Elijah and the ministry of Beach Bash 2021. So we're just gonna kind of bring you kind of the cliff notes of what we went through. We spent the week together as a group of students on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is in northern Israel. It's really not a mountain, it's a it's a plateau that's twenty-four miles long five miles wide and it kind of cuts from the northwest section of Israel kind of down into the center of the country and one of the most legendary spiritual events in all of scripture happened there we every day turned to first kings chapter 18 and just kind of lived on mount carmel with our students with elijah being challenged in our faith walk and the challenge was this to put jesus first and by the time we left to develop a plan to stay passionate in your faith that will be the challenge of today this is what i want to accomplish with our adults today. I want to challenge you to put Jesus first, and I want to help you develop a plan that will help you keep Jesus first. Our mission statement as a church is to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. We did all three of those things at camp last week. We saw kids who didn't know Jesus say yes to Jesus. We saw kids who were walking with Jesus decide to go in the full-time ministry. But the vast majority of camp was spent in that middle portion trying to help our Christian kids come become, become more passionate in their faith. That's our goal for you today. If you're a follower of Jesus, for you to leave with a plan to become more passionate in your faith. Before we ever read scripture at our church, we always pray and ask God to kind of speak to us. So let's just bow our hearts and our heads real quick. Take a deep breath and really three things to pray for. One, pray that I'll keep my voice at least this entire service. And then two prayers. A prayer of confession. So much happens between Sundays that it's sometimes hard to focus on Sunday. Ask God to clear your heart out and then ask him to speak to you. God, that's our prayer. The life that happened between the last time we were at church and today sometimes just sits heavy on our hearts. So remove that and speak to us. Use Elijah's challenge on Mount Carmel 2,800 years ago. Lord, to challenge our faith today. Stretch our hearts and deepen our faith in you, deepen our trust in you, deepen our commitment to you. That's our prayer. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. First Kings 18, we'll start in verse 19. Let me walk you up to verse 19. It had been three and a half years of hell in Israel. Here's what had happened. The people of Israel three and a half years before first Kings 18, 19, were living in a country that was pretty prosperous. The military was pretty strong at the time. The economy was pretty strong at the time. Everything was going pretty well at the time, but this, the country was in serious spiritual decline. So God called a prophet named Elijah. He sent him to the King of Israel to say, tell him I'm turning off the water um, until I have the people's attention. So for three and a half years, it didn't rain. In this largely farming community, it, it literally destroyed the country. Families could not feed themselves. Families could not give the government part of what they'd grown. The government couldn't give exports, the government couldn't get imports. Literally, it crippled the country and brought it to its knees. We were at the point in First 1 Kings 1819, where they had begun to eat the military animals. They said, go ahead and get the horses that we ride into battle. We need to eat those because if we don't eat them, the soldier's going to be dead anyway. Go ahead and get the cows that pull all the supplies into battle because if we don't eat those, we're not going to have any soldiers anyway. Things were bad. And Elijah showed up in 1 Kings 18, 19 and said, now that God has your attention, he wants to say something to you. I started the entire camp by asking our students this question. If God does not have your attention after the last 18 months, what's it going to take? Like if God... If God has not convinced you that you are not in control of life in what happens around you but that you have to put your faith and your trust in someone stronger than you bigger than you more eternal than you that is like if if God hasn't got your attention after the last 18 months that you need his help to make it through life what will it take another year of pandemic another year of school at home a couple more funerals More stimuli. like what is it going to take for you to finally release control of life and say, I need God more than I thought I did. Took three and a half years of no reign in Israel. Then Elijah showed up and said, all right, here's what we're going to do. Verse 19 says this, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. That was the wife of the king of Israel. So Ahab, that was the king of Israel, sent word throughout Israel. He assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long are you going to waver between two opinions if the Lord is God, follow him? But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people said nothing. So we set up and we lived in this showdown on Carmel all week long at camp. And we're going to do it today in 1 Kings chapter 18. There literally is gonna be a massive challenge, and here's gonna be the showdown. Here's what Elijah said we're gonna do on Mount Carmel get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves, so you can pick first. And let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. That would be an altar. I'll prepare the other bull. I'll put it on my altar, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God. I'll call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. That one really is God. Then the people said, deal. That sounds like a good showdown. So here is the showdown that Elijah's setting up. Two bulls, two altars, three gods, one lightning bolt. That's the story that we're getting ready to enter. The people of Israel had been worshiping kind of multiple gods for multiple reasons and Elijah said, you've got to choose but I'm going to make the choice really, really easy because we're going to prove today who is really God. Here's the challenge. You and your God are going to have a bull and an altar and a time of prayer and you're going to ask your God to strike your altar with lightning. Then me and my God are going to have a bull and an altar and a time of prayer and I'm going to ask my God to strike my altar with lightning and the God who actually does it, he's probably a real God and the people are like, that makes sense. You probably understand all of this list except for the thought of three gods. You say, who are the three gods? Let me give them to you. Elijah said, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal. He was the name of an ancient God in ancient Canaan and bring the 400 prophets of Asherah. That was an ancient goddess in ancient Canaan. Those who were eating at Jezebel's table. Here's the prize fighters involved in this showdown on Carmel. Baal was the storm god. He literally was the god of thunder, lightning, and rain. He would symbolize for Israel that work comes first. They would worship Baal because they needed rain for their job. And if their job went well, life went well, so they were tempted to kind of worship Baal instead of Yahweh because really what they needed was, was rain. Asherah was the goddess of fertility. She symbolized for the people that family and fun and friends come first. God had given his people a sexual ethic and a sexual morality to follow, but they were willing to kind of do their own thing sexually if that resulted in them having a community that loved them, embraced them, and and would give them family. That's what Asherah represented. And of course, Yahweh often referred to in the Old Testament as Jehovah. Often when God is called God in the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word Yahweh. When he's called the Lord, which he's called in this often, it's usually the word Jehovah. That is the God of Israel. And here we are on Mount Carmel and the showdown is coming. But the whole purpose of the showdown on Carmel was the showdown in the heart of the people that God wanted the people of Israel to have. It wasn't really about a display of power. It was a, it was a display of trust. Who has your heart spiritually? So here's the question Elijah asked. He went before the people and said, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Elijah said, listen, like you have to make a choice. If God is God, get in. If he's not, get out. But you can't keep doing both yet choose. And the people said, we'd rather not choose. Here's Elijah's challenge that I gave our students. God comes first or not at all. I told our students, this is not a challenge that you want to have to ever have put towards you. I will say to the adults in this room, this is not a challenge that we ever want to have put towards us. Because any of us who hear this are like the people of Israel. Here are your choices. Put God first or don't follow God at all. And everyone's saying, Is there an option C? Like, I get A, like, is there a third option? And Elijah said, no. These really are the only two options. Either God will be truly God, he'll be everything, or he'll be nothing. The good news is you get to decide. The interesting thing about Baal and Asherah, Baal and Asherah um, are not ancient gods. They are the ancient names of very modern gods. Baal and Asherah still exist in our world. They still exist in your world. They still exist in your heart. Most of us at some point in our life will have to continue to choose between Baal or Asherah or Jesus because they aren't just ancient gods. They're just the ancient names for current gods. What does Baal represent? Baal represents what is my security and my trust in. The people of Israel were willing to worship Baal because God was their, Yahweh was their spiritual God. They talked about Yahweh at church. If they needed forgiveness of sin because they felt bad, that was a Yahweh thing. If they wanted eternal life after they died, that was a Yahweh thing. But everyday life was a Baal thing. The thing they lived for, thought about, put their security and trust in was their work. And if work was good, everything was good. And if work was bad, nothing was good. It didn't matter if God was in heaven if Baal wasn't sinned rain. And Satan tried to convince the people of Israel to worship Baal because Satan is always trying to get us to worship something we can see something we could control. See, they could control the farming cycle because they knew when the rain was coming, Satan once, just like he did in the garden of Eden. He said, you don't want to worship a God that only comes and goes every now and then. That tree right there will give you everything you need. You can see it. You can touch it. You can feel it. You are in control of it. Worship the tree, not the God behind the tree. That was Baal. Worship rain, not really the God behind the whole universe. If you have rain, you have everything you need. And listen, the prophet Luke Bryan says rain is a good thing, right? Like those of you who are like in the country music, rain, makes corn corn makes yeah you can't say that in church so that was a test that you failed I gave it to our students and they also failed. there's a lot of things you can yell at the stage at the church like you can say amen you can say hallelujah you can say preachy you can say preach it pastor Christian you don't yell whiskey at the stage on Sunday morning church so that was a test whiskey makes our girls a little frisky so we talked at camp like girls don't be frisky guys don't date girls that are frisky. That doesn't work well for anyone spiritually. So we worked our way through that just like we have to work our way through that again. But bail is this thing that I can trust. What is your bail? Let me help you identify. We did this with our students. Our bail can always be identified. If you can't identify your bail, ask someone who knows you well, they'll tell you what it is. Our bail is what we worship. The English word worship comes from the word worth. Our bail is what is worth our time and energy and sacrifice and identity. If you don't know what your bail is, look at your calendar. Because it's the thing that you always put time, energy, sacrifice into. It is the thing you want to be known for. If I were to walk into your place of employment, your dorm, your team, your school, and say, hey, do you know so-and-so, they came to camp with us? What would they think about you? What do you want them to think about you when you walk into the room? That is something that has the opportunity to become your bail, something that is your identity that you live for. And Satan wants you to put it in something that he can take away. It might also be a spiritual weakness that is your secret. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says, don't let sin rule over you. Most Christians, most followers of Jesus have one thing in their life that just lingers their entire life that they struggle with. And it's not the sin that has become their idol, but the secret. Keeping that sin secret has become their idol because it makes them feel safe. As long as no one knows this part of me, as long as no one knows this happened to me, as long as no one knows I'm doing this, keeping that secret becomes an idol that you worship because it is the thing that makes you feel safe that no one ever knows this part of you. Psalmist says, "Don't let sin rule you by forcing you to keep a secret." Or wayward friends and unhealthy relationships. First Corinthians fifteen thirty three says, don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good character. No matter how many Sundays you spend in church, if on Monday you're connecting relationally at a deep level with someone who doesn't love Jesus, it's gonna be really hard spiritually. So our bail is the thing that we spend almost all of our life doing, and we're willing to put Jesus second so it can be first. Our bail is the secret that we keep so no one truly fully knows us. Our bail are the friendships that we allow to get in the way of Jesus. I told our students, and I'll tell you this, if you're looking at this screen saying, I don't know what my bail is, look at the person next to you and ask them. They do. They do. Because it's usually pretty easy to find. And in 2021, we don't have like idols for this. We don't have worship services for this, but we all have a throne on our heart where after church on Sunday, we ask Jesus to step aside and Monday morning, we ask this thing to sit down and it is what gives us our identity and our security and our peace. And Satan wants us to invest all of our hope in that because he knows that he can take it away. So Elijah challenges us, this thing or Jesus, you have to choose. We challenged your kids, this thing or Jesus, you have to choose. Your kids will probably come home, some of them, and challenge your faith. Mom and dad, this thing or Jesus, you have to choose. And this morning, I'm asking you, identify your Baal and choose. Does it really give you everything that Jesus promises to give you? That was one of the gods. What's the other goddess? Asherah. Look at what Asherah represents and tell me if this goddess isn't alive in 2021. Your spirituality is going to determine how you live sexually or your sexuality is going to determine how you live spiritually. So here's how Asherah worked. She had, a, she had a temple that had priests, male priests and priestesses, female priest that you, would, that you would come. In order to worship here, you would come and you would have sex with these cult prostitutes, male and female. Why would anyone do that? Because it supposedly would make you fertile. Why would anyone want to be fertile? Because 2,800 years ago, no banks, no 401ks, no Roth IRA, no pension, no union, no retirement. People were scared to death that when they got old, nobody would take care of them. They wouldn't have a community or a family who loved them and take care of them, and they were afraid they would, they would die alone or be alone in their old age. So your currency was kids, specifically boys. Boys. Because if you had daughters, your daughters would get married and it was culturally appropriate that when they got married, they would take care of their husband's parents and grandparents until they died, not you and your parents until you die. So you try to have as many boys as you can. So if you were struggling with having kids and lots of boys, even though God said, here's my sexual ethic, here's sexual morality that I want you to follow and you can trust me. You can trust me, you can trust my plan, you can trust my community, you'll never be alone. They were willing to sacrifice all that God gave them sexually so that they might have a community that embraced them and loved them so they could have family, so they could have somebody around them, so they wouldn't feel alone. They didn't trust that God would be there for them. They needed to be able to jeopardize their spirituality sexually so that somebody might be there who would take care of them. But folks, both of these things cannot be true. Either your spirituality determines how you live sexually or your sexuality determines how you live spiritually. One of these has to sit on the throne of your heart. And let me tell you what the culture is telling our kids. Your sexuality controls everything in your life. And the church has to say, that is not what the Bible says. Do not believe that lie. So we talked to our students about the, the facts of Asherah. One, you're not a sexual being who has a spirit. You are an eternal spiritual being who has the ability to experience sexuality. You are not your sexuality. You are your spirituality. You will not eternally be your sexuality. You will be your spirituality. If, um, let's put it this way. There are 10,080 minutes in every week of life that you live. If you, And not to be crude, but if you spend 60 of those minutes, 60 of those minutes being sexually active... And if you do, like you could get a gold medal in the sexual Olympics, like, like that's probably uncommon. If you spend 60 active sexual minutes every week, 99.995% of your life is spent not being sexually active. Yet the world tells you, you are your sexuality. Say, hang on. I'm only even expressing my sexuality 0.005% of the time. I am not just sexu- my sexuality. I am my spirituality because my spirituality is eternal. And most of us, unless you're extremely sexually active, are going to spend 99.995% of our time or less sexually active. And do you know that eternally, eternally for Christians, we'll be sexually inactive I talked to our kids about something not a lot of them knew. Jesus says that the resurrection people aren't going to get married. They're not going to be given in marriage. They're going to be like the angels in heaven. Like you will spend an eternity in heaven, neither being married or, nor having sex. When a lot of our kids heard this, they were like, can I take back my, like, can I take back becoming a Christian? Like you tell me I'm going to, for a million years in heaven, I'm never going to have sex. Yep. That's what Jesus says. You're not, a, you're not primarily a sexual being. You have the ability to be sexually active. But do not let someone lie to you and tell you, you are your sexuality. You are more than that. You're more than that. You have sexuality, but you are more than that spiritually. We told our kids, your sexuality must not be the defining characteristic of your spirituality. Because if it is, Satan has you right where he wants you. Why can't our sexuality be the defining characteristic of who we are? Look at 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. If if your sexuality defines you, then your heart will betray you because we live in a world that's sexually broken. If your sexuality defines you, your heart will betray you. And Paul says, when your sexuality fails in sin... It literally rips your soul out. Every other type of sin, feel bad about, might even be embarrassed about. But when you engage sexually and that goes wrong, you literally feel like someone has rejected your soul. So you need to be really careful how you protect your sexuality and don't let that define your life because when you tie it to your soul and you are rejected and you will be at some point by someone, it will literally ruin your soul. So scripture tells us that our savior has to be the defining characteristic of our spirituality, not our sexuality. What defines us as a follower of Jesus is Jesus. Not how I was born, but that I was born again. Amen? Jesus is what defines followers of Jesus. Not our sexuality, but our Savior. Jesus defines us. And listen, the church has to do a better job here. Because we've gone from saying too little to saying too much to saying nothing at all and our kids are all we've learned from our sixth graders this week our kids are all being educated sexually by the schools by the culture by social media by their friends and the church has been silent and the church has been off message i think for about 50 years from 1975 1970 to about 1975 in response to the sexual revolution the church's messaging on sex was don't have sex period like that was it That was the sex message in church, don't do it, it's bad. Which drove a generation of men into pornography to learn their sexuality because no one would teach them what the Bible said. And it drove a generation of Christian couples who we now counsel in church who don't even know how to be sexually intimate because their soul their whole life has told them it's bad and they can't even use it to love one another. And then the church messaging changed and from 1995 to about 2020, the messaging was don't be gay, period. Period. There's really nothing else to teach. Just don't be gay. And in that time period, the scandals in the largest faith-based organizations in the world were all made public. The Catholic Church and their sexual scandal. The largest Protestant denomination in America, the Southern Baptist Convention and their sexual scandal. While we're telling the whole world don't be gay, the straight folks are messing up everything. While while our only message to the world is don't be gay, more Christians are getting divorced than have ever gotten divorced before. More Christians are having sex outside of marriage than have ever had sex before. More single Christians are living together before they get married than have ever lived together before. And a higher percentage of followers of Jesus are watching porn than have ever watched porn before. And our messaging to the world is just don't be gay. It's just not enough is not enough training and it's not enough truth in the area of biblical sexuality. So we said for our kids, we're going to stay at a high level, but we're going to help you understand how to take what's going on inside your soul and give it to Jesus. Because the messaging, don't be gay, one, it gives zero kids or adults in the LGBT community a way to follow Jesus at all. It just builds a wall that says, this isn't for you. We did a Q&A, nearly a two-hour Q&A with our high school kids, Pastor Ryan and I. And the first question was, do all gay people go to hell and do Christians hate gay people? They heard that somewhere. The, that is not just what the Bible says about sexuality. Secondly, it gives straight people a license to do whatever you want. As long as you're not gay, we can fall, fall apart sexually, and we are. So what does the Bible say? Here's what we taught our kids. I took three hours to give them what I'm going to give you in three minutes. So we might need a follow-up conversation later. But we taught the kids letter A, we're all born broken sexually. Romans 5 says, because original sin, all of us are born with a broken spirit. Regardless of what letter of the alphabet represents your life sexually, you were born broken. Gay or straight, you were born broken. All of us were born broken sexually. That's what the Bible says. But all of us, can be redeemed sexually. 1 Corinthians 6 says, your broken sexuality can be bought by a perfect savior and he can give you a new heart. Now notice what I said and what I did not say. Jesus purchases our broken sexuality and he gives us a new heart. He doesn't always give us a new sexuality. Wish he did. It doesn't appear that that's the case now that we've studied it for 50 years. But he says, I'm gonna give you a new heart that helps you take your sexuality and who you are and surrender that to Jesus, let her see because Christianity is surrendering to Jesus. One of the most underrepresented verses in the Bible that define Christianity is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I used to live in the body, I have given that one away and now I live for Jesus. All those baptisms you saw on the ocean, the picture of baptism is, is when I became a Christian, I had a funeral in my life, my sexuality, my likes, my, everything about me, I buried and the me that comes out of the water now says, Jesus, what do you want? How do I honor you? What's the path forward? And I believe for every student, for every adult, with every type of sexual shape, there's a way to honor Jesus with our sexuality. As a matter of fact, Matthew 19 teaches it to us. We'll be there in months. We're in Matthew chapter 8 right now, just going a verse at a time. Probably sometime next year, we'll hit Matthew 19. And when we do, we'll stop for a month as a church or maybe six weeks. And I'll teach you about Jesus and sexuality and marriage and singleness and what he has to say to hit the very high points of it. In Matthew 19, Jesus said, here's why God created sexuality. And here's how you honor God's sexuality. Sexually, here are your options. One man and one woman having sex only once they're married. Heterosexuals don't like A. They struggle with A. Followers of Jesus struggle with A. And we let them come to church and we walk with them and we love them and we forgive them and we just kind of figure it out as we go. Straight people struggle with A. And if you don't want to do A, Jesus says, your option to honor me is choosing singleness and celibacy. Because your spirituality is more important than your sexuality. There's a lot of gay people who don't like B. But all of us are going to have both a struggle and an opportunity to honor Jesus. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is, well, can you, can you be single and happy first? Can you be married and happy? Like, don't laugh if you're sitting beside your spouse, but like we, need, like, we need to stop making marriage. We need to stop making marriage an idol in our church. That like, you can't be happy or complete until you're married. Because not everyone gets married. Paul says not even, everyone's even called to be married. And we need to start looking at folks who are single and saying, here's what God can do in you because you are single. We've got to get marriage off the altar of when life goes good, it's because you're married. Like we've we've got to help people understand that because in eternity, nobody's married. So singleness must be okay. It must have some huge benefits. But as our students ask, well, can you be single and happy and fulfilled? Here's what we taught them. Well, Jesus was single his entire life. And we believe he was the most perfect, happily fulfilled human who ever walked planet earth. And he was single his entire life. The apostle Paul was single through his entire ministry life. Some scholars believe that he'd either gotten divorced or his wife left him or she had died at some point. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he actually said singleness helps me do ministry better. So he said, I'm going to choose to remain single because God's got some things for me to do that would be hard if I got married. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all remained single their entire life because when they were kidnapped and taken to Babylon, they were all castrated so they could not uh, be intimate with any of the the royal Babylonian women because it would mix the Babylonian blood with Jewish blood. So they castrated all these guys that are heroes in the book of Daniel. They were single their entire life, yet they really honored God and had impactful lives. And all Christians are going to be single in heaven for all of eternity. Like that's just the truth. This is what the Bible teaches. So, we got to help all of our kids. We got to help them learn to talk to their friends. We got to help, as parents, our kids understand what's going on in them. And we got to provide a pathway. Okay, here's how you were born, but all of us were born broken. Here's how you surrender that. Here's how you give that to God. Here's how you walk through life fulfilled. We just got to do a better job as a church, leading through this and loving people well. Baal, Asherah, And then, of course, there's Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of Israel. I don't know if you know this or not, the the name Israel, the word Israel literally means one who wrestles with God and man. God renamed a man named Jacob Israel because he said your whole life, as I've watched your life, your whole life, it just looks like you're wrestling through every issue that you have, and I am the God who's going to help you do that. If you're asking me just based on who the gods are to pick one in my life, You're saying, Christian, do you want your work to define you, your sexuality to define you, or do you want reality to define you? One of these gods will help you wrestle with every issue and in every season that you ever go through in life. One of them will take care of your work. One of them will take care of your sexuality. I would say, I'm going to choose option C because sometimes my work and what's going on sexually are the things I'm wrestling through. So like, if that guy will help me with the other two, and the other two are kind of just single guy, like single shot people, I'm going to take this guy because long before I was sexually active and long after I'm sexually active, I'll still be wrestling through issues in life, with people in life, through seasons in life. And long before I started working and long after I stopped working, I'll still be wrestling through issues in life and seasons in life and with people in life. So why not choose the God who will wrestle with you through all of life? This is what Jesus is saying. He takes Elijah's challenge and he gives it to us in the Sermon on the Mount. God first or not at all. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And everything else is going to be added to you as well. Focus on rain. You might lose focus on God and you might wake up one day and have no rain and no God. That's not going to be a good place. Focus on your sexuality. You you might lose focus on God and one day you're going to wake up and you're going to be deeply wounded in your sexuality and have no God. How's that going to work out? Focus on God and eventually the rain will come. Or when it doesn't, you'll have someone to help you. Focus on God, and eventually you'll figure out how to live in sexual surrender and fulfillment. And even when that's hard, you'll still have someone to help you. Focus on God, and everything else will flow from there. Elijah said, you got to choose one of these three. And this week, we had a showdown in the heart with students where we asked them to choose. And many of them chose Jesus with better understanding than they've ever had before in their life showdown on Carmel led to a showdown in the heart. But eventually our last night, it led to a slowdown on Horeb. Another name for Horeb is Sinai, the mountain of God in the Sinai Peninsula. To kind of fast forward the story, Yahweh won. Of course, Yahweh won. The prophets of Baal all day long cried out, Baal, please strike this thing with lightning. By the way, Baal had the home field advantage because he was the lightning guy and he didn't strike it with lightning. And then like Elijah stepped in he's like, all right, God, um, y'all better back up. It's your turn. Boom, God struck it with lightning. and said, everyone said, the Lord is God. Like, Jehovah is Yahweh. He's the God over everything. And then it started raining. Life returned to normal and spiritual life came alive in these people. You would think it would have been the best day of Elijah's life, but the next day, King Ahab's wife Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you if I ever find you. And he takes off on this 40-day journey, nearly this six-week journey to run to Horeb, the mountain of God. And when he gets there, He's second-guessing everything he's ever done spiritually, any commitment that he's made. Your students who came to camp are already beginning to second-guess their commitment. Should I really have done that? Can I really keep that? He was alone. He felt alone. I'm the only Christian in my family. I'm the only Christian in my house. I'm the only Christian in my school. He felt alone, and he was so discouraged <clears throat> that he asked that God might kill him. And God said, slow down, <laughs> slow down. You don't need to do that. And he gave him these words in First Kings 19. The Lord said to Elijah, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. That was ancient Syria. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from abel to succeed you as prophet. Remember, he's running from his life. He's like, they're not going to kill you. Jehu's going to put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. And I've still got 7,000 people in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Like, I've got people who are just like you. Like, in this little conversation, God gives Elijah a plan to succeed spiritually after the big mountaintop experience is over. And it's a plan that we gave our kids, but it's a plan that our teenagers probably need their mom and dads to lean into if they're going to lean into it well. What was the plan? Three things. Letter A, find your person. Elijah's like, I'm all alone. And he's like, you know, you only need one spiritual friend not to feel alone. He said, go back and find Elisha. Here's where he lives. He's going to, he's going to be your best friend spiritually. I asked our students in a room kind of like this, how many of you, your best friend in the world is also the strongest person you know spiritually? Not one of them raised their hands. And I said, That's going to make it hard. Because when your best friend in the world is also the strongest person you know spiritually, it is a lot easier to do life with one other person spiritually. you got to find your person. Let me ask you, parents. Let me ask you, adults. you have your person? I'll ask you the question. i ask the kid. Is the person that's closest to you in life your first phone call, your first text, also the most spiritual person you know? When the answer becomes yes, like it feels so much easier to stay close to Jesus. So, find your person. Then we told our teens, let her be, choose your people. Let me tell you how this worked out for Elijah. So, Elijah's like, I'm all alone. No one loves God like I do. And God's like, there's 7,000 people in Israel just like you. Like, stop complaining. And and then I put it in teenage terms. So, Elijah's like, God, I'm the only Christian at my school. Nobody loves Jesus but me. And God's like, relax. The whole youth group loves Jesus like you do. And then Elijah says, Yeah, but none of them are my friends. Elijah, there's 7,000 other people in Israel just like you. Yeah, but they're not my friends. And God's like, maybe I should kill you. Like, I, I know you asked me that. <laughs> Sounds good to me right now. Maybe I will kill you. Elijah's like, they don't play my, the same sports I do. They're not in the band. They're not smart. They don't go to my school. They're not in the same guy. He had all these reasons why he wasn't close with these 7,000 people. And God told him, grow up. And go get with people who you have Jesus in common with. That is good enough. You have, you have God in common with these people. Find your people and live life with them. I want to say this. I want to challenge you with this. I, want to say, I was going to say I want to say it respectfully and softly. I don't. Um, if you go to our church and you've been involved in our church for any amount of time and you're like, I don't have any Christian friends, that's on you. Because we got men's groups, we got small groups, we got serve groups, we go on mission trips. Like, we have so many ways for you to connect. You're like, but I don't know anyone grow up. That's what God told Elijah. I don't have any Christians that I talk to on a weekly basis. God's like, I see a bunch, and I but I don't know any of them. And God's like, maybe you should meet them. Maybe you should go out of your way and find someone and find a group. Maybe you should change your schedule. May, maybe, maybe you need to put a little work into this, but maybe the work is worth it. Find your people. Find your people and then stay in very close proximity to God. Some of our students were at camp. How close did Elijah have to get to God? Close enough to, close enough to hear him whisper. Say, how close do I have to stay to God? Close enough to hear him whisper. Some of you are like, God's not been talking to me. No, you've not been listening. God never shuts up, but often he whispers. And if you don't learn how to quiet the noise in your life and lean in close, sometimes you'll never hear him, but I promise you it's not because he's being quiet. It's because you're not staying close enough to him. So for some of the adults in the room, what it's going to take for your kids to make it spiritually is you doing these things. And the last part of it is, how, how do I really stay close to God? You've got to have a personal walk with Jesus. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to pray. You've got to be in small group disciples. Like you, you've got to have a personal walk with Jesus. And parents, listen to me. Your students don't know how to do this yet. They want to read their Bible. They don't know how. They want to pray now. They don't know how. They want to have spiritual discussions. They don't know with who. So mom and dad, it's on you now. We like we did it with them for a week. You get them the next 51. That's how it works. It's like, no, we're going to keep throwing back. No, 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 no. We got a week. You get the next 51. You got to help them. We told our kids, you got to be committed to youth group. But unless they're a junior or senior mom and dad, this totally depends on you. Because you got to bring them. Parents, you have to help your kids stop working jobs that won't give them Wednesday night off. There are 1,000 $12 an hour jobs in our community. Help them find one where they can come to church. They got to come to youth group. I don't care if they only come the last 15 minutes in their uniform, sweaty and smelly. They got to come to youth group because they've been with people all day Wednesday who don't care about their soul. They're going to be with people all day Thursday who don't care about their soul. So just get them here for 10 minutes so someone can give them a hug and say, how are you doing and care about their soul? they got to have a spiritual community. They have to have a people. And mom and dad, you have to lean into that. You have to help us. We did it last week. You get the next 51. And we told our kids, you got to be faithful to church. Like, you got to get here. We told our kids the only reason that the early church worshipped every Sunday morning is the first Sunday morning after Jesus rose from the dead, they said, hey, we should, last week at this time, Jesus was getting out of the tomb. So let's get out of bed and praise God. And then they just kept doing it every Sunday. The reason we gather on Sunday, Jesus got out of the tomb, so we get out of bed. It's just a reminder that on Sunday, a dead man woke up, and we believe he gives us life now. So mom and dad, you got to get your kids to church. We did it with them last week. Now we're handing them back to you, and we're saying, go. You say, my kid doesn't want to come to youth group. There's only one way I will listen to that excuse. If you also don't make your kids clean the room unless they want to, do their chores unless they want to, do their homework unless they want to, go to school unless they want to, eat their, veg- eat their vegetables unless they want to, make your junior high boys shower unless they want to, which they didn't do very often at camp. Like, if you are the type of parents that say, I'm going to parent my kid in every area, but spiritually, you're going to have to answer for God to God for that. I mean, I'm gonna make sure they get to school And i'm gonna make sure they do their homework and i'm gonna make sure they get their driver's license I'm gonna i'm gonna make sure they do all this stuff, but they don't like church parents We need parents to be parents. Amen We need parents to be parents And we need you to lean in so your kids can win spiritually because at the end of the week Here's what we told your kids You got to make a choice. Then you got to go home and live it Elijah said how long are you going to waver between two opinions like you got to make a choice And then you got to go back and live it out at home Say christian. How long will the campfire last in our youth group? Have no idea. It depends on the parents not us We spent five days with them last week. You'll spend the next 360 with them. It's on you not us Bring them on wednesday. We'll get them ready again but ultimately They're going to spend 90 percent of their time with you And if you will light the fire every day, it'll keep burning if you'll pray with them before bed like we did last week, it'll keep burning. If you'll have a spiritual discussion every day with your kids like we did last week, it'll keep burning. If you'll read the Bible with your kids like we did every day last week, it'll keep burning. And if you won't do that, send them to camp next year. We'll light it again and we'll, we'll see how long it'll last. We'll try again. But mom and dads, ultimately it's on you or it's on some people in this church who are willing to help us with teenagers. Inside your bulletin is a little card that says student ministry leaders. Here's the reality. The more students I talk to this week, the more I realize that we've got some students in our church whose parents are not Christians, but they very graciously let them come to a Christian camp. They trusted our church with their kids, even though they may not even believe with us, believe believe the same things that we do spiritually. We have lots of kids who... Do not have a dad who can teach them to read the Bible, who do not have a mom who can have a hard conversation with them. We have a lot of kids who don't have one adult in their life who will look past their eyes into their soul. So we need some student leaders in our church. And if you are in our church and you are not yet serving, could I beg you to serve in our student ministry? Single adults, could you find your purpose in life, loving teenagers and serving them? Moms and dads with kids in the student ministry, you say, my kids don't want me around. Is that why you skip all their games? Well, I don't skip all their games. I know. They don't want you around there either, but it's important to you to go watch their games. Come help in youth group. Come, You're probably not going to serve with your student anyway, but you'll be around and you'll be supporting your student. Grandparents, can I tell you in my student ministry days, 10 years as a youth pastor, my best leaders were grandmas and grandpas who loved students like their grandkids. Because what... What a lot of our kids need is a loving grandma and grandpa, not another mom and dad. You can help us. You can help us love teens who want to walk with Jesus but need someone to help them. You can fill this out in your bulletin, drop it off in the box before you leave. If you're more of a technological person, one more time. There we go. You can text two words: journey stew men. It's not stupid. It just looks like stupid. Journey stew M I N. To 47 47 47 and say, you know what? I'd be willing to love a teenager Guys, I I laid everything I had on the table For our students last week I did it because I believe If you will do the same as a church And as families We can help these kids lean into And live for Jesus But it's going to take all of us How long is the camp high Going to last? How many days are you willing to get up and light the fire? You do it in your house It'll last a long time, but it's on you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we consider that? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the auditorium, but hearts are open. What bail in your life is standing in the way of your relationship with Jesus? You've made it your security. You've made it your identity. You've made it your trust. Ultimately, when you leave church, Jesus steps off the throne and this steps on. If you can identify that, you're gonna have a chance to grow Spiritually by wrestling through it with the God who wrestles with you through things. Ask God to help you. What area of broken sexuality is standing in the way of your relationship with Jesus at this point? Maybe something you've done or like some of our students this week, something that was done to you which has broken your soul. Maybe it's someone in your life who you know who your sensitivity towards them is allowing Asherah to lead instead of Yahweh. Tell God you need his help confess that area. If you hear here and you don't serve at our church right now, would you be willing to work with students at Journey? It's the most incredible ministry role we have at our church. The kids will fill you more than you feel fill them up, but they need you. Would you be willing to work? Fill out the card before you leave today. And if you don't know Jesus, maybe you're a parent who came with your teenager because they invited you to church. You've seen already a change in them and you're interested in it. Maybe your heart says, I need what my kid has. You can receive Jesus today. Scripture says you believe in your heart that you need him and then you confess with your mouth through prayer that you'll follow him and you'll be saved. You'll be changed. If you've never done that, you can do that today by just... Whispering a silent prayer from your heart to heaven. I'll say a prayer you can repeat after me. You don't have to pray it out loud or even move your lips. You can just pray from your heart to heaven. Just pray something like this. Jesus, I need you. Just repeat it after me. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my past. Heal me of my hurt. And lead me into my future. Today I surrender my life to your leadership. I ask for your salvation and I commit to follow Jesus. If you just prayed that prayer with me in just a second, Hannon will be back up here. He'll let you know how you can connect with us through our connection card or one of our Next Steps teams in the lobby so that we can pray with you, pray for you, just give you some resource information so you can follow Jesus well and lead your family as you follow Jesus well. But for Christians, identify your bail. And then choose who comes first. Identify if you're struggling, struggling through this issue of sexuality in our world that is. And figure out who comes first. We were born broken, but we were redeemed by Jesus. We can surrender our lives in a way that honors him and fulfills us. That's the truth of today's message. We just have to believe it by faith. So, Father, give us the faith to believe that and to lead those of us who had kids that came home from camp, to lead them well, lighting the fire every day. That's our prayer. And we ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.